0: Well, we've been uh, gradually working through this. <laughs> gradually, I, it's a great word to use, gradually, isn't it? I planned, when we first started uh, on the Book of Philippines, to get through it relatively quickly. Uh, and then the, re- the reality is that you start to look at the next section the next section, and it's like, it's like opening this, uh, the lid on this treasure trove of Bible truth that you look at it and you think, well actually that's that's a diamond that's surrounded by rubies and it's set in gold. But you know what, we, we've got to look at that diamond this afternoon rather than looking at the whole ring. And I guess that's a little bit what this afternoon has been like in preparation. I would, I'd planned to take really quite a decent section this afternoon and get us moving on. And here we are, we're going to be looking at verses 4... ...through to verse 7, because when we actually look at it, it is breathtaking. It's, it's just mind-blowing, and it is reshaping. I've called our talk for the si- this afternoon, A Life Less Ordinary. I wonder, what would it look like for us to live a life which is less ordinary? It was, there was a film produced in 1997... It, got, um, it didn't get particularly great reviews. starred Ewan McGregor. The title of the film was A Life Less Ordinary. Ewan McGregor starts as a cleaning guy in a, a firm in L.A. Uh, who's sacked so that uh, his job can be taken on. I've not watched the film, by the way. It's too trashy. <laughs> I've not watched it, but he's, he's taken on. He's, he's sacked so that a robot can take over his job, he, he hijacks, he kidnaps rather, uh, the boss's daughter. Now the way the, th- the story unfolds apparently is two angels who are in charge of human relationships in this world kind of intervene and uh, they shape it so that uh, these two people rather than being a kidnapper and the kidnapped, End up in some kind of relationship crazy rubbish film, apparently um, if you're a great fan of it, I'm really sorry for you <laughs> um, But then it raises a question in my mind: what would it look like if something of the divine something something of the heavenly supernatural broke into our lives and started to shape our lives what would it look like i guess for lots of people when we think about that, when we think about what would it look like for, for heaven to break into my life, our immediate thought would be something along the lines of the movie. It would mean that God would intervene and in some way shape our lives so that everything would be turned for good. So that the the events that we face, the realities that we face, would be diverted from the bad at every turn. You know, we see ourselves heading down the track. We can see a train crash at the end in terms of uh, a picture of life. And in some way, we see if God intervened in our lives, he would switch the points on the track, and our life would be diverted in a different direction so that everything would turn out good. That's what we have in our minds when we think of what it would look like if if something of God's impact came into our lives. You know, angels to shape it so that relationships always worked out. Angels to shape it so that uh, those car crashes that were about to happen don't happen, metaphorically or literally. What was Paul's perspective? How is he writing to this fledgling church in Philippi and therefore because this is a letter to the church at Philippi and the church at Escape because it is the timeless word of God. What is the Bible's perspective of what it's going to look like if God intervenes and starts to shape and and to govern our lives. Let's have a look at it. Point number one, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That sounds great, doesn't it? You know, very often, I know that we, uh, hopefully, we really enjoy our time of singing. We enjoy a time of praising God. We enjoy those times in our lives where we are very conscious of God's hand upon us. Uh, Can I ask you a question? Have you experienced that? Do you know what it is to really and truly know that God's hand is upon you? Have you experienced what it is like to know that God is in relation, or rather you are in relationship with God because of the Lord Jesus? Paul is writing to people who know what that's like. They've experienced what it is to come into relationship with God And therefore he's saying, now, remember that and rejoice in your lives day by day. When? Sounds great. Apart from one little word in that verse, always. Rejoice in the Lord. When everything's great. When everything's on track. When things are working out fine, rejoice in the Lord always. It's a remarkable verse, isn't it? Something that just makes us stop and think. Rejoice in the Lord always. I don't know, I know what some of you might be facing over these next days and weeks and months, but I don't know what all of you are facing. You might know that there are issues coming up in life where you're right at this point, you're looking at that and you're thinking, I don't know how I can do that. With the prospect of what is going to come up in life, what I know is going to happen or what I think might happen We're now being told that we are to rejoice in all situations. How can I do that? How can I find it within me? Can I find it within me to rejoice in everything? Life, well, the events in life, they they change, they turn in an instant, don't they? They really do. Everything can seem as if it is on track. Everything can seem as if things are working out fine. And then in a moment it can change. Now Paul is writing this from a prison. And he's saying rejoice always. Is that just some kind of uh, idea? You know, you know, stoical, you know, stiff upper lip, British, rejoice even though it's really bad. Well actually no. He's already lived this out in Philippi. He's gone into the city, and there's no understanding at that point of Jesus. He goes down to a river and he finds some women who are who are praying, and and he speaks to them, and some of them come to faith, uh, and then over a period of days, various people are coming to faith. Period of time, and then he finds himself beaten. With his companion Silas. And in prison. What do they do overnight? They praise God. This is not theoretical. This is not idealism to Paul. It's not some kind of. It would be really good if you could muster up the ability to do that. He's already lived out the example. Of doing this. He's been in prison. In Philippi. Singing in the middle of the night, praise to God, rejoicing in God, when it seems in human terms, as though the wheel has fallen off, and it actually seems, if you like, in in spiritual terms, in the advancement of the church, in his mission, as if the wheel has fallen off, doesn't it? It seems as though... Everything has been going great. There's been people have been coming to faith. You know, we've started this church here over these past years. It has been a tremendous encouragement, hasn't it? I know that there are some people in here this evening who, who have come to faith, who believe in Jesus in exactly the same way as some of those first believers in Philippi have come to faith in him. But the wheel might fall off tomorrow we praise God? Because that's what this is calling us to do. It's in in human terms, this is a life less ordinary. Because an ordinary life finds comfort, rejoices, finds a sense of peace and confidence when When things are going well. And then when things fall apart, when things go off the rails, then we struggle. We do, don't we? By nature we do. I do. I'm sure you do. By nature we struggle. We find it difficult. So I want to ask the question again. How is it that we can do this? I think the next little section, the next verse, gives an indication of how we might be able to do this. Paul continues by saying, look, the way to do this, firstly, the way for it to be seen, is for your reasonableness. Or you could, you could, that could be translated, your grace, or graciousness, or calmness or serenity, or kindness, or balance. All of those words all play into the idea that is in this. Let your reasonableness be known to people around you. There's a challenge for us. I don't know what your temperament is like. I know what my temperament is like. I, I tend to be impatient, impatient. I tend to jump to conclusions. And I am challenged by that verse to say, you know, when things go wrong, don't jump to the way you naturally are tending to behave. Live a life less ordinary, live a life which is changed. You say, well, it's you know, just the way I am. It's just the way I am. It's, it's, as Lady Gaga would say, it's the way I've been born or something like that. It's just the way I am. No, hang on a sec. The Bible is about life change. Christian faith is about life change. It's about the impact of Jesus coming into our lives and saying you are a new person, you are a new creation, and therefore you will be changed. Now, I know that all of us are changing at different rates and at with different experience, different corners need to be knocked off us all. But this is saying, you know what, you need to have some of those corners knocked off. You need to not jump to conclusions. You need to be seen as reasonable, as gracious, as balanced in the light of these situations when things go wrong. Why? What is the motivation? How can we do it? The last phrase of this verse tells us how we can do it because the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It means simply this, the Lord is at hand. It means that we we live our lives completely differently because of the imminent return of Jesus. That's the Lord is at hand. He is about to return. Now, there is some debate about what this actually means in some sense. It can mean, yes, he is always present in the spirit. But it probably means more directly that we live expecting his return. We are shaped by that future event. We live our lives now because we know that that is going to happen. Now we can only live like that with the imminent return of Jesus shaping our day-to-day activity if we've been changed so that we believe in it. Which means that we trust that Jesus has died on a cross, has been buried as a dead man, has been raised to life, has returned to heaven and has promised to return again at some point in the future. And therefore we live in the light of that. We are shaped by it. We are informed by it. In fact, we find a peace because of it. Can you find a peace because of it? Because everything is temporary. That's what Paul understood. He was able to see in the middle of a Roman prison, as he's writing this, or in the middle of of a a jail in Philippi having been beaten, he's able to say, yes, but this is only for a short time. I am living in the light of Jesus' return where everything will be righted. All of the wrong, all of the injustice, all of my imperfections will be righted by the fact that the Lord who is at hand suddenly become present to us all. That changes everything. It changes the way we live our lives day by day. It changes the way we get up in the morning. It changes the way we feel when the lights turn red again, if we live in the light of that. You know when we've been through three red lights? No, we don't go through three red lights. When we've stopped at three red lights, Freudian slip. Uh, and then there's a fourth. What's going on? What's happening this morning? What's happening when that relationship is just crunched out of gear? It has ceased. What happened when that news in the letter from the hospital dropped onto the mat this morning? I'm living in the light of Jesus returning. I'm living in the light of the fact that when He returns, everything will be righted. Everything will be resolved. And therefore, the things which seem massive now are temporary. What does that result in? It allows us not to be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I read a little, a a one-liner about that verse, and I thought it was brilliant. It said this, Live as though... The God who is at hand, the God who is about to return at any point, live as as though the God who is at hand is also the God who is present now. The God who is at hand is also present now. Live in relationship with him. That's what prayer is, isn't it? Trusting that his intervention in our lives, no matter what that might be, no matter how that might unfold, is his hand upon us. How does that work out? What's the outcome of that? When we live in that kind of relationship, we find that the issues that seems so huge because they are issues of life, are put into context, they are reduced in their impact, because there is an eternity at hand. And then we can say there is a peace of God which might descend on our lives, which passes all understanding. And Jesus Christ will guard our hearts and our minds. I think that verse is maybe one of the verses in the Bible which we as believers in Jesus should most aspire to experience. I really, really want to experience a peace in Jesus. I've spent so many occasions speaking to people who are going through incredibly difficult situations. And it is, it's just so often repeated. It's terrible. But you know what? Jesus has been closer to me In this than I have ever experienced. That. Is the peace of God. Which passes all understanding. In other words. We can't understand how that should work. We're in the middle of the grimmest of things. And yet somehow. There is an astounding peace. Which shouldn't happen I want to experience that every time every time the road becomes rough or the gears crunch in life I want to experience that and this verse tells me how to experience it, it says experience it by living day to day in relationship with Jesus that's faith you might think you might be here this afternoon and you might think that is just i can't believe that i can't believe that you would actually even say that that life can be so bad that you can actually promise that jesus will be a bigger help in the time of difficulty the only way that i can <laughs> say that is because I've experienced it and I've spent so much time listening to other people who've experienced the same and because the Bible tells me that that is what is going to happen. You know, the Christian faith isn't a set of truths to just believe. It is an experience to live in. We experience faith In Jesus. And as long as we sit outside. Of relationship with him. The potential of that kind of experience. Will sound alien. It will. And yet those. Of us. (laughs) Who in this room have. Do you know what? I need Jesus in my life. More than life itself have experienced it again and again and again. I would encourage you, if you're thinking this is just strange, speak to me afterwards. Or maybe speak to the people who you've come with or the friend who you've arrived with. Just ask them, is that true? Is that really what happens? That the Christian faith is experienced? We live it and we feel it? Absolutely. Because this little section just reminds me again that that we... We just all are striving for some sort of peace in life, aren't we? We do. We all want peace in life. Now I would say that every one of us in this room probably look for peace. Either in people or things. Or by the rejection of people or things. You know, we can do it by both. So many conversations where people have said, I- I'm not allowing relationships to come into my life because the last time I allowed a relationship to come into my life, I ended up hurt, broken. So I'm going to find peace by not allowing relationship into my life. And then there are others who said, I... I just want to find peace in relationship. We we can look at it either by rejection or by acceptance of those things. I want to find peace by surrounding myself with comforts and possessions. That's one way of doing it. Or I want to find peace by saying, "You know what? I'm going to I'm going to declutter to the extreme. I'm going to live in a tent and get rid of all of my possessions." And then I'll find a peaceful life. Do you see that either by grabbing hold of as much as we can or rejecting as much as we can, we are still looking for peace. And you know and I know that experience in this life tells us that no matter which pathway we go down, we don't actually find ultimate peace. Now this tells us that the reason for that is because true peace is not limited to this life. True peace is by connecting this life to a concept of eternal life which is found peace in Jesus alone. A life which says, no matter what happens, we can put it into perspective. A life which has been we, we have an example, the perfect example of how to live this kind of life. We've just remembered it. The most horrific, seeming disaster is Jesus is rejected by every one of his friends. Abandoned by those who were close to him, handed over to be killed. He knows what is coming. It's really important when we read the Easter story, he knows what is going to happen. He knows that Judas has gone to betray him, he knows that they're coming into the garden. To arrest him. He knows that within hours he is going to be nailed to a cross. Having been beaten and flogged to the point where he is not recognisable. He knows that is what is going to happen. He has an understanding but I think think the, the breath taken from him as he expresses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Shows us that he... He had some understanding, but not a complete awareness in his humanity of what it really meant to be abandoned. Not in its fullness beforehand, but he knew it was coming. And we know that he knew it was coming because he goes into a garden and he prays. Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's peace. That is living peace. The reality of our human experience says that it doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly and swimmingly. Because for Jesus, it meant that he was sweating drops of blood onto the ground as he was bearing the coming separation from his father. But he went through it. There was a confidence to go through it. In fact, we're told that he went through it because he knew what was beyond it. He had a confidence in what was beyond it. There was something greater which was you and me in believing in Him, worshipping Him for all of eternity in relationship with Him. And that is worthwhile. And so he was able to pray in such a way that no matter what he faced, he wasn't going to step back from it. Because he had faith in his Father He saw what was to come. And he trod that pathway alone so that we need not tread that pathway. Supremely seen in Jesus. To answer the question then, what does it look like when something of the impact of heaven, relationship with Jesus breaks into our life today. This tells us that we begin to live lives of settled confidence and faith in Him, which gradually, bit by bit, were changed, so that we have a growing confidence in Him, and we experience His peace. I want to encourage you. Please don't sit on the outside of that that experience. Please don't sit hearing about it, hearing other people talk about it. Jesus says that. Who